60 seconds and counting. We are go for Apollo 7 at this time. Hi, everybody. Welcome back. Thank you for uh, joining us here. Hope you had a good dinner and that you're ready for uh, some roundtable discussion. And then we're going to get to the Q&A a little bit later. So, uh, you know, write up your questions and uh, be ready when the time comes. Um, so, yeah, we're going to do a little roundtable here now. A couple of, uh, well, I have a lot of questions, to be honest. Uh, I don't want to be uh, stuck on all my issues that I have, though, in terms of all the interesting things that have been presented here today. But Maybe we can get the ball rolling a little bit. Obviously, just again to remind you guys, uh, or in case the streamers are joining in late or something like that, we have with us John Rappaport, Carol, Carol Rosen, Catherine Austin Fitz, Joseph Farrell, and Richard Dolan as well. And we're going to actually call up as well on the phone. Uh, I thought first thought he would be here in person, but I guess it's a little bit too challenging maybe for him to, uh, to be here. But Tom Bearden. So we're going to call him up. Is he on the phone now? No. No, we'll get him as soon okay. as you're ready. All right. Well, yeah, dial him up. Ready? Let's see. Yeah, sure. All right. He'll begin talking as soon as I say hello to him. So this is he's a wonderful go, opportunity because huh? you know he hasn't been well. I told him that his fans are all here, so we'll let him know. And I'm going to dial the phone. Are you ready in the back? All right. So he's like behind a documentary called Zero Point Energy, Energy from the Vacuum, a couple other things. Uh, lots of work. Hello? Hello, Tom. Can you hear me? Yes. We're here. You have a wonderful audience of your fans here, Tom, and we're so looking forward. Okay. Congratulations to everybody. Thank you. And we're looking forward to your 15 minutes, and thank you so much. You go ahead and start talking. Okay. I want to congratulate everybody for being there and seeing how nice it is to see the, such interest and uh, dedication. I want to give you a few thoughts there that hopefully will help. Number one, the world is full of free energy systems already out there called dipoles. A dipole, which does, the function of it doesn't exist in, uh, in electrical engineering, which is an 1892 model before the discovery of modern, uh, physics, modern quantum physics and the energetic vacuum. So it doesn't have a virtual state. And so it's also what we call symmetrical. It was deliberately altered, paid for by J.P. Morgan. It was altered at birth by Lorentz to symmetrize the equation so they would not contain over-unity systems. And that's why your electrical engineers uh, are not able to use their own theory to design over-unity systems. It was deliberately struck out of their system in 1892. But if we look at what we really have, we do have the virtual state in modern physics, and a dipole is a broken symmetry. In other words, it absorbs virtual energy from the vacuum all the time. Some of it, it integrates up to observable form and re-emits it as a steady stream of photons which in uh, ordinary electrical engineering is called a static voltage. 
it isn't static at all. It's steady voltage. It's steady emission of the same amount of photons without variation. And so we already have free energy emitting systems. They're called dipoles. Julian, uh, I've been in the room here with me. <laughs> but the question is then, what's wrong with our systems that we're taught to build? Well, uh, at its birth in 1892, J.P. Morgan, a very evil man, paid Lorentz to deliberately alter the equations that were going to be used for electrical engineering so they could train some engineers that would be able to work on and understand the new AC generators that Tesla had given us at Niagara Falls. He deliberately had him fix the equations. Lorentz fixed them so that they would not contain free energy systems. And so our electrical engineers today are confronted by a serious problem. Their very model that they're taught has already been deliberately altered so that it excludes exactly what they're trying to do if they're trying to do free energy. Well, if you go into modern quantum mechanics, quantum physics since 1918 or so, there are systems like in quaternions and all where you can do this. But uh, already in those models, but uh, nobody, you know, that doesn't have anything to do with electric power. Our electrical engineers are not taught such things. So the problem we have to do is we have to get the electrical engineering model altered and modernized from its 1892 mutilation. Now, several places have done a little bit of that. And when you do, you get a model that will allow you to build free energy systems. Uh, there's no problem with the free energy. Every uh, You make a common dipole and just nail it down and leave it alone and let it sit static. The static voltage contains a flow that, when you look at both the linear flow and you look at the curved flow that uh, is not taught in electrical engineering but in modern physics, the coil flow is 10 trillion times as much as the flow that you diverge into, the longitudinal flow you diverge into your circuits to use. So if we can uh, do some general relativity and convert a little bit of that coil flow, which is possible, it's done a little bit in non-linear optics. If you do that, then you can get free energy fairly easy once it's developed. And so what we would like to see, very much like to see, is some changes in electrical engineering where at least the history of their model, exactly how it was put together and what was altered and what was changed, is taught in every electrical engineering uh, course. If they knew that, then they could easily go ahead and extend their model again back to before it was mutilated and then our own electrical engineers can design and give us free energy systems at will. So that's what we're trying to see happen out there, and I'm very much encouraged that our modern electrical engineers are beginning to turn back and look at the foundations of their own subject, how it got born, and some of them are even looking now into how it got mutilated. So I'm very hopeful that we will have free energy, hopefully in my lifetime, 
from our standard electrical engineers once they modify their model and remove some of the mutilations that were done to it. So that's the message we want to get across to everybody. There is hope. There are, uh, you know, some free energy systems out there already, and uh, we hope that we have more being developed, and uh, we're delighted at the serious interest in this. And we're glad when uh, our universities are delving into it, because once they focus on it, uh, you'll have it probably in short order. We should have had it a long time ago, but of course, certain parties didn't want us to have it. They wanted us to keep burning all this coal and all this gas and everything and not have free energy. But let us hope that we live to see the day when energy is cheap and free and uh, we don't poison the biosphere with a lot of uh, waste and a lot of uh, fumes and all from burning engines and stuff like that. So it really makes my heart good when you have a conference like this and you have lots of people who are seriously interested in seeing that progress happen. I want to congratulate everybody there, tell them how much I appreciate their efforts and what they're doing, and urge them by all means to please continue and stay with it till it gets done. Thank you so much. Thank you, Tom. And we have one question, if you will, from Dr. Joseph Farrell. Go ahead. Okay. Uh, Colonel Bearden, you mentioned that Lorenz was required to alter equations. I, I can't you, hear you. I'm sorry. You, you, oh. I can't hear you. Yeah, Our connection is there. Colonel Bearden, can you hear? Yeah. Yes. Okay. Um, I wanted to ask you, you mentioned that Lorenz was required to alter some equations by Morgan. Could you tell us which equations those are? Okay, he doesn't have that in his memory, but he has it in his research. That's not it. Are you still there? These free systems that Tesla was already building. All right. Would you repeat? Hello. Yes. Can you hear me? Now can you hear me? Well, that's too bad. Do you want to try to call him back or should we? What kind of, what kind of answer were you hoping for, Joseph? <laughs> right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I had a little bit difficulty hearing that. But basically, obviously, he was talking about how uh, you know, that the model that the electrical engineers are getting, that that's completely wrong and that we have to obviously change the educational, uh, you know, system overall, of course, to try. Any comments on what he had to uh, say, ladies or gentlemen? Anyone want to pick up? Yeah, I mean, it's, I guess the bottom line there is, considering how much work he's done on zero-point energy and actually trying to, you know, deconstruct that, is that, is it, is it a possibility? I would never, ever presume to comment on the science of what uh, Colonel Bearden or any of these other... There, there are people in this audience who know vastly more than I'll ever know on it, but I do believe that we get to a, an era where we have true open source sharing of information. Uh, we'll have the ability to have a true free market in this world of testing and, and um, implementing different ideas. 
And all we we do is we. All right. Would you repeat, Tom, what you were saying about where to get the research to answer the question of Dr. Farrell? Oh, I'm sorry. Say it again. I can't. I'm having trouble hearing you. Yeah. We got a bad connection. I know. Can Can you just give us the suggestion for where to get the research that you were talking about before? We couldn't hear what you had said, but if you could just repeat where to get the research, the answers for Dr. Farrell's question. Uh, well, when you go into modern quantum physics, uh, and you go into quaternion theory, they already have physics models. So your foundation's assumption. Hello? Okay, go ahead. We hear you. Go ahead. Uh, they already have uh, various models of physics out there available where these things are in there. What happened is in the electrical engineering model, when Lorentz was putting it together so that we could train some people in 1892, we would be able to train some people to work on and understand the Tesla AC generators he had just given us at Niagara Falls. Uh, Morgan paid Lorentz to ensure that the equations he came up with did not contain any of uh, Tesla's free energy systems. And so he was, uh, being a physicist, he understood group theory, and all that meant was he had to have symmetrical equations. He couldn't have asymmetrical equations. And when he looked at the equations that were being suggested, they were asymmetrical. And so he told Morgan that they still contained those forbidden Tesla systems, and Morgan told him, fix it. So he, being a physicist, he said, no problem. He just changed the equations to make them symmetrical. So he altered electrical engineering to make it symmetrical at its birth. And it was born symmetrical and therefore excluding all over-unity systems, which are asymmetrical systems. They also do not include in the normal electrical engineering curriculum any study of group theory because uh, the big guys don't want them to know what was done to them on their own model. And so what they're taught is that their model is correct when, in fact, it contains about 20 errors by modern physics, and uh, 10 of those are quite serious. Tom, thank you so much from San Mateo, California, the Secret Space Program. We love you. You're an inspiration. That's all your friends here. Thank you, Tom. Thank you so much. And again, uh, I'm so gratified that people are interested in this whole area and taking over and carrying on. Please continue and please have success. With your inspiration, we're on it. Thank you. Okay. Good night. Bye-bye. All right, thank you. Bye-bye. Catherine, you wanted to comment on that? I just wanted to ask, Joel, is Joel Garvin in the room? Would you please, where are you? I can't even see it. Walk up here. Okay, I want to just make sure everybody is aware of Joel Garvin. Is here. He's the president of the New Energy Movement. He has a, a project that I think is unbelievably important where he's bringing together a variety of people in science and engineering to put together standards to vet 
uh, new energy projects. I think it's a very important thing, particularly for the investment community. So if you're interested in supporting or helping, I recommend him to you. That's what he looks like. Find him, give him your card. I know there are a lot of engineers in the, in the audience who could help, right? Am I right? Thank you. Okay. Is, this, is this on? Yeah. Oh, just so you know what Tom Bearden was speaking of, dipole. That's the word he was trying to get across. D-I-P-O-L-E, dipole. So I never thought it. All right, thank you. Any, any additional comments from the panel here in terms of what uh, Tom was talking about or uh, viability of free energy, et cetera? Any comments? <laughs> it's a pretty tricky uh, subject, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah. All right, all right. Well, uh, I don't mean to break the flow too much of that. Please, if there's any other thoughts on that particular area, we can return to that a little bit later. But actually, I wanted to ask uh, something that you mentioned before, Richard, uh, during your presentation, and it had a little bit to do and it's just such a simple idea, and I think uh, it's kind of remarkable that it hasn't occurred before, but you, t you put it in the context of Occupy Area 51, right? I mean, <laughs> why hasn't anybody organized 500 people, 1,000 people, whatever, what, what you can get in a kind of a Bundy Ranch style, but go into like S4 or Area 51 or something like that, and, and literally show up at the gates, you know? And, and okay, you might not be able to go into the facilities, but you might literally actually be able to stand there. And I mean, imagine the media, uh, you know, attention on that. I mean, what would they do, shoot you? I mean, I don't think so. <laughs> well, let them have it then, you know. I would like to see the reaction to that from the American people, right? So, <laughs> but I mean, organization-wise. I, I agree, I think it is a great idea. And, um, you know, we haven't done it now. It takes a lot of guts to, to go up to the Area 51 and do, do a demonstration there, I think. But uh, I don't see any reason why it can't happen. Um, I think what we need is a, a sense of crisis, uh, or we just need maybe some determined leadership that really wants to uh, make the organization and make it happen. You, need, you have to be brave for that one, but there's no reason why it cannot happen uh, tomorrow. Is, is that uh, something that would be necessary, do you guys think, in order to kind of, again, we tried to tackle this a little bit yesterday, but to open up the subject more, to get more answers to what is going on, if this is something that, you know, we have paid for, if you will. 20 uh, years ago, there was something called Operation Right to Know. Some UFO researchers remember this. Early 90s, and there were a group of people who were literally picketing outside the White House with signs about ending UFO secrecy. Didn't really go very far. There was not a lot of media coverage, but that was a different era. Um, I think, you know, today it's quite possible with some good viral marketing, some, some smart people, web-based web researchers, you know what they're doing. It, it could be different now. Yeah, exactly. I mean, crowd-funded, you know, uh, projects, etc. I mean, I'm just saying there might be people out there who might be, uh, you know, spark some ideas there in terms of actually putting something together because it's a conference like this. Sure, going to San Mateo is different than going to Area 51, I guess, but, you know, let's do it, people. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Was that? Yeah, if you're right behind me. <laughs> All right. All right. Um, so there was obviously a lot of interesting things that we uh, addressed today during the, the presentation and everything else. And there are a couple of things that we've been, uh, you know, trying to get a little closer to, and it has to do how to kind of. Uh, you know, move, move forward from, from this location, from all the knowledge base that we have and everything of, of 
what to do to, to open it up a little bit more and actually realize what, you know, what to do in the next step. I mean, the, there's, of course, knowledge is the basis of everything. That's where you base everything on, right? But I guess I'd just like to kind of pass around the mic a little bit and ask what, what it would take, you know, to, for the next step for this to go to the next level, what you individually think is an area lacking, I guess, in terms of finding out more about the secret space program, breakaway civilization, the technology they've been talking about, or the uh, clues in the black budget. Anybody hungry for that one? <laughs> well, I think uh, one of my hopes for this conference was that there would be a new conference culture that would come out of it. And I'd like to see more like this. I'd like to see more all over the country and Europe and so on bring speakers like this together. And <laughs> one of the nice things about this conference <clears throat> I didn't get the sense, listening to any of the speakers, that they had an agenda. And I think that's what created the, the culture here, and I'd like to see more of that. I think that's first one of the things we can do to get the information out there. Right. Legitimizing the topic, making it more mainstream. Legitimizing the topic, exactly. Exactly. Richard? I, I would just add, um, what we really need are some bona fide whistleblowers who are who have credentials that can be vetted who have credentials that can be vetted it's very important um, and if they don't necessarily want to go public they could uh, reach out to researchers that, that they respect or trust who might be able to um, to work with them because honestly what what we're handicapped by um, you know most uh, the majority of uh, of U.S. federal government records are classified in one form or another. If you're an archivist or a historian doing your nation's political history, most of that history is secret. And um, it's tough. So if we, um, if someone like myself or, or anyone else here is approached by someone who actually has vetable, testable credentials, checkable credentials, who's got inside information and they quietly want to give it, um, I, I'm sure many of us would be interested in that. So that's, this is a call out to anyone out there who's got genuine information that they feel needs to get out. Over the years, I've, I've uh, had communication with a couple of people who I, I think are part of that world, at least to some extent, not a whole lot. And, um, you know, there's always, always limits as to what they want to say. So, um, but it would be helpful. And, um, and then the other thing is simply um, for all of us moving forward, I, as I was saying earlier, I think uh, cultural changes are the most important now. I really believe that. And uh, in the 20 years that I've been researching this fringe topic, I've, I've seen a tremendous change in cultural attitudes. And part of it is just by people being brave. Y you being brave, going home and talking to people and not, not caring what your family or friends think. Just saying, look, you know, there's something really legitimate about this and getting conversation started. In my city in uh, upstate New York, we have a, a monthly meetup group, which I love my meetup group. And we meet face to face. We're in person. It's 50, 60 of us a month, and we get a lot of um, a lot of great dynamics going there. Just little things, as well as big things, can make a difference. Catherine. So here, I just wrote a blog post called "I Have a Request," and I'm going to make it a request to every one of you. I know some of you have read it, um, but we were at lunch. A group of the of the Solari Report subscribers were at lunch. Wonderful, beautiful lunch in Marin County last week and everyone as we went around the table said you know 
in my family, I'm the black sheep or I'm the kook. So here's my um, request. We are not the black sheep. We are not the kooks, okay? We're the leaders. We're the people who are trying to realign the reality with the official reality. We're the people who are willing to deal with reality. I had a pastor once who used to say, if we can face it, God can fix it. So we're the people leading that. It's time for us to stop apologizing for who and what we are. It's time for us to stop. It's time for us to stop being the sin eaters for our family. We're the people who are trying to protect our families with the power of our knowledge. Let them hug the matrix, but we need our knowledge to help protect them from risk. So we're the leaders. It's time to lead and it's time to stop apologizing for our leadership, okay? So that's my request to all of you, and it's part of the, of the change in the culture, because the powerful thing about this audience, if you look, if you walk around this audience, we have people who are what I call people on the line. We have lots of people in this audience who know how to get the trains out. They know how to build things. They know how to run things. They know how to build businesses. We're talking about people who can really go out and make change because they're the people who know how to make things happen. And that's very powerful. Okay. Very good. Thank you. Now, uh, we talked about as well in terms of creating an atmosphere, I guess, for potential whistleblowers and insiders um, that they might even need to feel more, I don't know, welcome. There's a certain extent that might, some people might feel threatened over the fact that we you know, talk maybe overtly negatively about some of the, I mean, it's not that the technology isn't remarkable, but it's coming from a, you know, in a kind of an oppositional perspective, perhaps, right? Because if this is a technology that is available at this stage to make a value judgment that, okay, no, it it's, has been in the wrong hands, that for, therefore we have an opposition to it, it's really important maybe to to embrace those people to a certain extent, right? And, and actually to, to be able to sequester the technology to into the right hands, right? So if these are people who are willing to to work with other people, you know, uh, scientists who are more balanced and want to offer some kind of uh, balance to the potential, um, you know, breakaway civilization that we have out there, we have to have uh, an environment where they feel safe that they can come and talk and share those ideas with potentially, right? So is that something that uh, needs to change? Uh, I mean, Joseph, we talked about that a little bit as well in terms of that there might be kind of a uh, an antagonistic relationship, right? Well, I, one of the things that uh, Joel, I forget what his last name was, I think is going to happen. There's a concept in topology that's called a basin of attraction. You create a particular kind of geometry and it attracts the information to you. And I think an organization like that, that's setting standards for alternative types of, of theories in science and engineering is by the nature of the case perhaps going to attract some of these credentialed whistleblowers and I agree wholeheartedly with Richard. We need less anonymous sources, we need absolutely credentialed people from inside that can be vetted. They don't have to go public but someone has to know that and be able to check out the information. I think creating organizations like that is going to help in that process because they'll have a place to go. And, and if, if there's no one in the organization, those organizations can become referral points to people that they think might be able to do that. So we need to do more of that kind of thinking. Right. right. Now, uh, Catherine, I want to ask you something as well. It has to do with the idea of uh, collapse versus no collapse. Uh, there might be people who actually are 
there, there could be a kind of a complacency in the fact that people are waiting for things to completely fall together, fall apart, and at right. that stage, that's when you know people are ready to act or something like that. Right. But if there is a situation where we don't get that economic collapse you were talking about, right. is that a danger? Stagnation? It's that? a it's a very important danger. If you look at the slide that I showed today with the before and after, we have thousands of people, particularly in the financial community and in a variety of different communities who for many years have said, oh, well, it's all going to collapse, and I'll just wait for it to collapse, and then we'll deal with it. And what they don't understand is what they're watching is the slow collapsing of the legacy system, but if you look at the breakaway, it's resource rich. If you drive around the country and you go to the areas where they're building, things are going gangbusters. Things are growing. Things are very dynamic. The economy in that part of the economy is very strong. We're in a slow motion collapse in, in for example, the county where I live. You know, the, the, the middle class is getting squeezed and is slowly collapsing. And what we need to understand is the global financial system isn't going to collapse, and one of the reasons is they did this to make sure it wouldn't. So, so what we need to understand is the collapse scenario is, is being promoted by people who are only seeing half of the picture. They're not seeing the whole picture. And one of the reasons I think it is so absolutely important that we as a society look at this is to understand how the fundamental economics work. Because if we're just going to navigate the economic life of our future, we have to understand this. And the collapse, I can't tell you how many people I have seen literally do tremendous harm to their, to their career, to their finances by believing in the collapse. They give up on building the future, and that's why I always say, you know, the, fil the future is built by the people who believe in it, not the people who believe it won't happen. So, um, so I, think, I think one of the reasons to really communicate the, the whole UFO story and the breakaway story, as Joseph and Richard have done a marvelous job of doing, is until you understand that, you cannot possibly understand what's going on in the economy. Can I add one, one thing, and I, I really love what you're saying, Catherine. When um, you look at the evolution of, this is a little bit off topic, but not a lot. When you look at the evolution of our uh, mass culture of the last 50 years and think about where we went from Cary Grant movies and people like believing in their society, dressing snappy, and uh, kind of having this hope to, to movies of today, which are so dark and so hopeless and filled with, I mean, incredible amounts of violence and sex and uh, this apocalyptic, thing, apocalyptic themes that just right. permeate, uh, you, you really have to right. wonder that this is, th there's something really bad going on here to try to infiltrate our own belief and hope in the future. Mm -hmm. That's my own, my own take on that. Right. Yeah. yeah, you're right. Uh, any other further comments from other panel members so far, what we talked about? Well, I'd like to add that I think this is so important, we should be aiming at more to getting a panel like this into the audiences of the military-industrial complex. They have a lot of conferences going on, even right this minute, on space and defense, and they just don't hear any of this. And even if they plan on rejecting it or disowning it, denying it, which is mainly what I experienced, the denial part, I think um, if we could approach them and say, look, we have this package ready, these are credentialed people, they have something to offer in terms of their self-interest and corporate interest, I think we could get them into, get you into these audiences. I think that's what's important to do. Well, in addition to what I tried to say in a soft, unobtrusive way this morning about where we go next, uh, I want to see some documents. 
when uh, John Marks wrote The Search for the Venturian Candidate, which exposed MKUltra, CIA mind control program, he had been issuing FOIA requests for years to the CIA. They'd been turning them down. They finally gave him 10 boxes of financial data as a joke related to MKUltra. But he was a very smart guy, and he began to trace and track the money, and then that turned into people that he could talk to, and eventually he saw a major segment of what the CIA early mind control program was all about, documents. Then they told him, you'll never see anything again, Marks. You're not gonna screw us ever again because we transferred this so dark you'll never be able to follow it now. No documents, not even one page will be released. Documents do a fantastic thing. I agree with what everybody has been saying about credentialed people. Credentialed people with documents, ah, you're talking, baby. Show me the stuff, right? And then I want to say something because Danny Sheen is here, and I don't know how many of you know his history about the Christic Institute, which was uh, what you would have to call a crack in the reality egg of the world for the people who understood what was happening. It had to do with Iran-Contra, it had to do with, yeah. It had to do with uh, drug trafficking through Central America and John Hull's ranch. I mean, this was like a drama unfolding week by week with new reports that Danny was issuing on the road, at colleges, talking to people because this was before, you know, long before we have this technology and online and so forth. And we were talking at dinner, and I think the point that he was making, and, and I was agreeing with, was in an investigation of this kind, where you start to actually get close to the people with credentials and the documents and exposure of the secret space program, for that's what we're talking about here. You need backup, baby. You need people following you around who can document all this as it's happening. Which Christic Institute, not through any fault of Danny's, there wasn't enough of that to sustain it, to show enough of the public do you see what we're uncovering here? I mean, can you believe the difference between this story of Iran-Contra and drug smuggling and all of the machinations of government and what the mainstream is reporting? If, if there had been enough people behind him documenting all this, publicizing it, getting it out, a force of public relations, if you will, backup, it would have gone much, much farther than it did, which it went very far to begin with. So somewhere along the line, we're going to need that. We're going to need, because we're going to become, and have already become, a citizen grand jury investigating the secret space program. Citizen grand jury means we impanel ourselves, basically, to be investigated because we believe in justice and, and we don't uh, turn our our eyes away from lies. Citizen grand juries need major, major PR backup to sustain them so that people don't just say, the story's now dead. Got to keep it alive. In addition to all of this, I think it's important to note the timing 
the timing's right now. So Danny was way ahead of his time. Even Thrive, I think, brought us straight through Foster Gamble's project to inspire so many people to get involved. But now a lot of the disclosure, a lot of these books are written. Solari's there with the, the economic alternative vision. The vision now to replace the parts of the secret space program that we don't want is available. And it really wasn't available. The technology's ready now. The politics are really behind, but they're ready for a transformation. The financial institutions need to be changed. That timing is ready. Um, the spiritual social awareness is certainly ready, and their people are networking around the world. So I think timing is a huge issue that we have the opportunity right now to move forward. Thank you. Let me uh, change the pace a little bit. I wanna, I'm curious, I wanted to ask the panel as well. Are you in all in full agreement that there is uh, no threat in terms of the question of outer space, whether that be an alien question or whether that has to do with a human faction that has broken off and now is showing to be a potential threat to us here on Earth? I mean, we can certainly see that we have a faction here on Earth that is threatening to us right now. Um, what's the panel's opinion on this? I'm the money manager. I'm a risk manager. I'm the bad guy. I think there's tremendous risk, okay? And one of the reasons I would love to see a decentralized shift and change is because that's one of the way, you know, when you, when you move a centralized man, uh, model, there's tremendous risk. This planet's been on the same economic model for the last 500 years. It's called the central banking warfare model. When you change a model, that's a very deep change. Millions of things can go wrong with the best intentions and the best planning. And, and to do it without participation from, the, from everyone, I can't, you know, to me it's very frightening. So we're coming into an enormous change, and that's why I think this idea of every one of us taking responsibility, as John was describing, and using our imagination is so powerful because it's gonna take all of us. So I think there's tremendous risk just from the change. Forget what's going on in outer space. I think there's a lot of risk. Yeah, I, I'd second that. I think there's, um, I think you have to keep your mind open about the nature of whoever the others are. But I second that. Uh, I think there's as much risk coming from within this totalitarian national security establishment breakaway civilization. They scare me as much as anything coming from outer space does. I'll just chime in, and the, these are the exact sentiments of, um, I believe it was ben, attributed to Ben Rich at the end of his life, who for years and years was uh, deeply, obsessively worried, apparently, about the nature of uh, whoever these other beings were, uh, as I mentioned earlier in my, my talk today, uh, although by the end of his life came to feel that the secrecy on this, this uh, subject was, poses great a threat to our liberties as as anyone else. But again, this, every now and then you get these uh, stories, these accounts that leak out from, from the inside, whether it's the Jimmy Carter story, uh, apparently you know, deeply uh, upset after his briefing, or uh, an undersecretary in the Reagan administration who was deeply upset about his briefing and he had a daughter to raise in this world, and that's what upset him. Um, you know, and so every now and then you get these, these dark hints, and I, I, can't know, I can't confirm it, I don't know, but uh, it does make me wonder. I, 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 I think that we are, we are like the, the greatest show in this part of the universe right now. I think humanity is at this tipping point where we've reinvented ourselves. It's only been 150 years since you know, we were um, all riding horses and uh, you know, having, pulling wooden carts. And from that, look where we are. And, and 
that fast. So if anyone's got the ability to look at us, they're looking at us right now. So I, I, just, I would think that we're, we'll get them all. We're getting people who, um, beings who think, wow, we're really cool. Others who think they're a real problem. Uh, others who think, they, oh, they belong to us. I don't know. I, I, would, I would suspect if I were a counterintelligence officer and I was in charge of security of planet Earth, I would be looking at all of those possibilities. I think it would be remiss if I didn't. All right. Now, do you want to chime in on that, Carol? I don't have, I, I totally agree with the, the risk factor. I, there's a huge risk, and the change that you're talking about is gigantic. And it's nobody better to talk about it than you, so this is all great. The part that I don't fear at all is the cosmic cultures coming in. It's just, there's nothing to fear. So I just want to add that in, that there isn't anything. And I'm past saying if they're out there, because for sure we know they're out there. So I think part of our responsibility is to kind of own it. And you know, I know. So let's kind of say it like we really mean it and we own it. And I think that will help people understand. Also, coming information that comes out of the industry, from my experience, because most of the audience I have are to the right of Genghis Khan. They're really conservative. Um, they are not only in denial about it, but I think they know, I think more importantly, they want to know from us what the truth is that we know, because a lot of them don't know it. They don't, it's hidden from them. And I think if we can bring it to their attention in a non-confrontational, very supportive, understanding, almost healing way, they will hear it. I would just add, I'm, I wasn't trying to promote a militarization of, uh, of space with that yes. statement. I, I yes. really wasn't. Um, it, that's important to make that clear. <laughs> but um, just that, you know, a certain amount of caution in the face of, of this unknown challenge. That's really what, how I look at it, challenge. Um, I would, that's all I'm saying. Just yeah, and I understand that too. I and would I think say my biggest concern is people who are asleep. <laughs> I mean, nothing. People, I'm not really. <laughs> That's a concern. Uh, if people are awake, I sincerely think we can deal with anything. You could be talking. Maybe somebody could say, "Well, you mean in the next five minutes? You mean in the next five minutes? No. What's the time period?" Well, how long is it going to take before, if, there, if everybody is awake or a lot of people are awake, until we can deal with everything? I don't know. But we can do it. I think, you know, the only problem I'm, I'm concerned about is right here, meaning, you know, where we live here. Because if you have enough people who are asleep, then, you know, you've got a lot of, what are you going to do? Uh, we've got the answer. Uh, a good answer, a good solution, and we see that uh, 60,000 of you are asleep, so we're going to put you in harness and drag you along with our answer, and that's going to be our, our real force, right? And then the press said, one schmuck with 60,000 people asleep went to the White House today to change the world, and somehow it didn't work, right? So, but whereas if a lot of us are awake, I'm feeling good. I'm feeling like this is a, we're in good shape now because whatever comes, whatever comes, you know, a dude shows up with 18 green eyes and six hands and whatever, you know, you people are doomed. 
if you're awake, you know? So you die, you come back, big deal, right? <laughs> but you're awake. That's the only thing I'm worried about. Well, I wish I could follow that uh, as a comedy uh, follow-up, but I can't actually, so... <clears throat> I got to take it down to a kind of a lower level here again. No, uh, but seriously though, um, so some of the things I was thinking about as well. Some it's very, it's it's obviously difficult for us to figure out the different factions that are out there, and there's tremendous amounts of speculations of you know who is who, what are what are their intentions, etc. But the reason why I brought that up as well is because we might have a question of misrepresentation if there is indeed are human factions that have broken off. And are out there, uh, you know. At what at what stage do they represent us, and at what stage do we thereby have, you know, a right to defend ourselves if something goes goes wrong? It's a, I mean, there are a number of questions like this that can arise. Um, any comments on that? It's entirely possible that there's an an earlier human faction that broke away from the rest of us. Entirely possible. We have we have enough of a major hole in our ancient history that uh, I, I think any of that's possible. And uh, if, if a grand secret were discovered and uh, people of the distant past thought, we're not sharing this with those savages over there, those barbarians, we'll do our own thing. Maybe that's what they did. Um, don't know. I, I, don't, I don't know if I'll ever be, will be in a position really to know that definitively. Uh, there could be a, a faction that broken off at any, any previous point in our history for all we know. Joseph, do you have anything, any thoughts on that? No? I second that. <laughs> There's another thing I wanted to ask you as well, Joseph, and I had to do a little bit about um, uh, the extraordinary, you know, presentations in terms of the old Nazi guard, you know, and the network that was built up, and even the possibility that uh, Argentina developed a nuclear bomb, you know, and uh, yeah. What, what, what was your question? Well, I wanted to continue a little bit and expand it on. Uh, actually try to see what is happening in the world today as well and, and, and ask if there's any, I guess, connection if we look at you know, all the wars, you know, Carol spoke about right. this, all the things that we see in the world we, in terms of the geopolitical situation, right. we have a possibility of, well, we've, well, America's already right. invaded Iraq and Afghanistan, you know. We have the most disturbing thing about that post-war group of Nazis, and, and I know this sounds just absolutely ridiculous, but the research is out there. Christopher Simpson has done a lot. Uh, there's another book called The Beast Reawakens. And, and these people have dedicated, Peter Lavenda certainly another that has, has done the research. Uh, and then some of my own research has, has led me to conclude that this terrorist network that we seem to be fighting in our matrix reality this really began during World War II, and it began with specific contact between the Waffen-SS and the Grand Mufti of Jerusalem at the time, who was cousin to Yasser Arafat. We certainly know that the CIA overthrew King Farouk, but what most Americans don't appreciate is that the boots on the ground in that operation were Nazis. It was Otto Skorzeny, it was... Uh, General Raymer that uh, suppressed the coup attempt against Hitler. All these people had these close contacts to the radical Islamic world. And I have to wonder, I mean, I've, I've reached no conclusion on this, but I get the question all the time whether I think this Nazi network is still in existence somehow. 
And my response has been to say that this is pure speculation. I have no real good solid evidence other than some tangible threads to these recent events in post-war history. And I have to wonder sometimes if this isn't a war against that Nazi international as much as it is a war against terror because they were the sponsors, they were the ones training these radical Islamist organizations during and after the war. So uh, six of one, half a half dozen of another, take that for whatever anyone wants to use it for. Right, well, exactly. And the reason I bring it up as well is, of course, if if what we see in the world today, if that's a continuation of that policy, you know, is it, is it German interests to invade, you know, Iraq and, and potentially even now Iran and the conflicts in Syria and everything else, you know, and America being run by APAC and other organizations of foreign policy and everything, you know. So it feels like there has been a split at some point, maybe even around 9-11 or something like that, that there is a, it's taken off in a different direction perhaps, and now we find ourselves in a conundrum where we have several groups with different agendas, you know, playing into it. Well, right. I mean, we can look at the recent news about the Ukraine. Uh, there are sources out there on the internet media, and I tend to believe at least some of them, that the National Endowment for Democracy and some of these other so-called non-governmental organizations, these fronts that are backed by big private money, well, you look at some of the coup leaders in Kiev, and they trace back directly to some of those wartime Waffen-SS units that were recruited from the Ukraine and Belarusia and so on, and were involved in some of the most horrible atrocities. So, you know, is that network alive and in place? Are we seeing contemporary geopolitical manifestations of it? Yes, I think so. Right. Yeah, yeah. It was, um, because we have a situation where in, in Ukraine you have Victoria Newland and some of these people as well uh, related to the PNAC documents. But that, that has to do a little bit about the future of, I guess, where America has taken the world and if there's any, uh, you know, disconnection between the, the old agenda and the, and the new agenda, if you will. I'm not so sure I understood the question, but I do think that there is... Um, I think there's that the real disconnect is between the matrix-created reality and those of us in this alternative community that have been researching all of this. I think that's where the disconnect is. I mean, I can only say to an audience like this that Nazis might be involved in some of this nefarious activity and, and be taken seriously. If I were to say this in a university context, I'd be laughed at. You know, I, I'd, lose my, I'd lose my tenure. So one of the things, I go back to, to what you said earlier, to what Carol said, and, and Richard and, and Catherine said, John as well, that I'm hoping that there will be a cultural change that will legitimize the ability of people to express and argue any position so long as it's argued. That's, that's where it is. Is there any other comments on that in terms of how to, how to change that uh, culture from you guys in terms of 
Is there any other points on how to change that culture, as Joseph talked about, how to... Uh... I think we're at a kind of a civil war where, where you've got these basically media from above, power from above, trying to dictate certain things, telling us what we're allowed to have, in, uh, what we're allowed to talk about publicly, what we're not allowed to talk about publicly. We're getting very close to a point where I'm, gonna, I'm seeing thought police in the United States yeah. and in Canada, where I just came from, and a lot of other places where uh, it's, you know, like you're an evil person if you think certain thoughts if you even say certain things privately. Um, and, and these things become very, very big media play. And um, I, I find that intensely problematic. On the other hand, uh, we're in the midst of a, a tremendous uh, cultural change coming from below, I think. That is, um, again, driven by technology, driven by the ability of all of us to communicate globally in ways that were never dreamed of even 10, 15 years ago. So um, it really, it's a, it's, a, it's a struggle between control, we can, you can see it, it's a creeping totalitarianism um, that, is, that is trying to, I almost lost my train of thought here, that is trying to control and to dictate what is correct, proper thinking, yeah, like it, you know, political correctness writ, writ large. Um, but I, I, there's obviously a lot of cultural pushback against that from the people. Catherine? When I was working on the Community Wizard software tool, I had a, a young man, PhD from MIT, from China, who was working for me. And we finally built all the databases to look at how all the money worked locally. And I said, okay, Henry, I want you to just go off and simulate what would happen if we were free to optimize the re-engineering of the government money combined with financing communities with equity combined with bringing in the new technology. And that's before I met you two guys and I knew what the new technology could do. Let's just do all of that. And he came back with the numbers and I said, Henry, this can't possibly be right. Because the number was so big, it was so incredible. I made him go back and do the numbers three times and finally he said, look, he said, it is so constrained, it is so sub-optimized that in fact, if we were free to have free markets, I'm not saying we understand everything that's gonna happen, but you know, the, the wealth potential is so great. If you look at the financial wealth in this country on the planet, it's 1% of what it could be in a world where we heal the environment and people can be successful. There's no economic reason for poverty whatsoever. It's a political choice. So if you look at the wealth potential, the one thing I think it's really important, because what John was talking about is you have to have a vision. The funny little secret, the reason I never get depressed, is if you look at what is economically possible, there is no reason not to have an incredibly wealthy, abundant planet. It's just, it's possible. So that we don't have to be depressed because there is light at the end of the tunnel. I would love to add <clears throat> that um, I, I really feel that the, the kind of intellectual ossification that you get in a lot of the bureaucracies in our society, whether it's academic or uh, government or political or ever. I mean, it's a complete um, t mind turns to concrete. It, it really is true. And, and uh, fresh ideas are, are really not entertained. And uh, you can call it political correctness. You can call it just adherence to dogma. That is the rule. And that is a reflection. It's a complete reflection of, of this kind of political control system that must exist only if it controls the minds of the people who work within it and the minds of the people. So, so this, um, this system that I feel has existed in uh, at least large measure, some measure, let's say, because of the existence of this 
existential reality that's been thrust upon them. I call it UFOs. They feel they need to contain it. As a result of that, they have to create this uh, grand political system that actually knows no boundaries in its control, and as a result also has to create a kind of mind, a mental culture of uh, sycophantic obedience to certain types of, you know, what, this is what's right to think about, that's what's wrong to think about. And, and we're just, we're seeing, it's, it's this uh, encrusted old ossified system that's ready to crack apart uh, because what we're seeing also is this cultural transformation that's been taking place. And that's what we're, I think is what we're seeing right now. I have to tell you a story. <laughs> There's a, who here has seen the movie La Femme Nikita, particularly the second remake? There was a French and then the American. Okay, so there's a wonderful thing. Nikita is an, is an operative and she's out on an assassination and it goes wrong. And when a covert operation like that goes wrong, you have to call up the cleaner. The cleaner's the guy who comes in, figure out what's going on. And one of the problems, if you're an operative who's messed up, the way he may clean it is to kill all of you. So it's really important to get along with the cleaner. So who shows up? It's Harvey Cattell, Victor the Cleaner. <laughs> and the first operative gets scared and freaks out, so Harvey knocks her off and turns to Nikita. And Nikita says, how can I help? <laughs> She's unbelievably chipper, like turbo chipper. So right in the middle of the fiscal crisis, I'm at the gym. It's the only time I watch TV. I'm on the treadmill, and I'm looking at all these TVs, and I'm looking at this smile. And I say, I've seen that. I've seen that f smile before. They're all like unbelievably chipper. I'm listening to I'm, my iPod, so I'm not hearing the sound. And I realized, oh, it's the Victor the Cleaner smile. They're all on the TV saying, it's fine. The stock market's fine. The bond market's fine. Everything's fine, <laughs> right? The whole society is in a Victor the Cleaner smile. And when you're in a Victor the Cleaner smile and when you're afraid of the cleaner, you can't think creatively. You can't turn on your imagination, right? So we need you to come up. <laughs> we need you to come up with a plan where we can like make Victor the Cleaner join us and laugh. <laughs> well, well, like I mean, it goes. Uh, to, it speaks about again the breakaway consciousness that would need to exist, and the and the very need for the control system to to regulate that and and to to hold everyone down. Because I think I mean, mankind. We used to be. We're explorers, right? We're we're meant to go out there. But the question is, are we being contained in some way? Because you know. For whatever reason, you know, we can speculate about that, but we're not fully allowed to bloom, and we've reached this kind of threshold. We're not; we haven't reached further now. Space, next step, right? Space is one next step, yes, and uh, of course, freeing freeing ourselves from this uh, control system is probably more important than anything else. I mean, I I was designed to live on Earth. I wasn't designed to live in space. Right. So for me, uh, I would be happiest living here on this beautiful planet along with other beautiful people, creating a beautiful civilization. That's, that's what I would love to do, where space could be part of that. And um, I mean, the thing that breaks my heart more than anything else is when you look at the potential of every single person on this planet and you realize most people um, are not in a position where they are free or they feel free or they think that they're free to really choose their own destiny. They have to make certain decisions and they, they feel like I've got you know, to raise my kids, I've got to pay my mortgage, and all the things that people do. And uh, where there was once this fire inside them when they were 20, 25 years old, by the time they get to a certain age, it's all burned out, and they're, they're, they're done. And I, I, to me, that's a horrible tragedy. It shouldn't have to be that way. Um, we, we don't have to have a society in which people just give up, in which people basically become zombified by a certain point in their life. I, I just, it can't be that way. 
So um, when you look at what's the problem? Well, the problem is we've got gross injustice, gross criminality, gross lies encrusted over, over our world. They are lies. And for me, I'm, I'm getting excited. I'm getting worked up. So I, you know, I've always been this kind of crazy, obsessive, fanatical person. A lot of, my mother always said, Richard, you have always been this way, partly in frustration. And, um, but I have, I've always wanted to, to know the truth, just like everyone here, just like all of you here. We're all truth seekers. Um, but it was a long journey for me. I, I didn't want to have to reinvent my worldview uh, 20 years ago. I really didn't. I, it, it, reinventing your worldview means you, you're admitting that, that your prior years were kind of wrong. <laughs> and when someone gets a certain age in their life, they, they don't want to do that. They, they really, because they don't want to be feeling like they're dumb, they're stupid. Oh, God, I missed the most important thing um, in my reality. But... Um, but, but what I learned is that if, if I just let go of all of the ideas that I think I'm supposed to believe, and that's hard at first, it, it really is hard, but if you learn to let go of that and you learn to just open yourself up to, to other things that, are, that could be true, when you realize that and throughout all of human history people have believed wrong things, and then it's a little easier to think, well, maybe I've, I've had some wrong beliefs too and may, I could just open up to the possibility that there's more there. And so then it's, it's been a, a, a lifelong journey for me, uh, trying to peel away the deceptions, and it's layer after layer after layer after layer, and I don't know if I'll ever get to the end. I, I honestly don't, but I feel like I've made some progress, and um, the journey's valuable, and I don't even know why I'm rambling here, but it's just I feel like this is, this is an important thing. Um, space is one thing, but living a fulfilled life as a thinking, feeling, emotionally balanced human being. That's the most important thing. And, and we can, we have that ability. We just have to break it. This is a horrible system that we're in. It's not that free enterprise is wrong. It's not that capitalism is wrong. I, I don't believe that at all. Well, we, we don't have free enterprise of thought and action. What we have is a bureaucratic global system that's basically designed to make you serfs for the rest of your life and your children and your grandchildren serfs. That's not freedom. I think that we can do a lot better than that. Yeah, you're right. Well, guys, any final uh, thoughts here? We're going to move on to some questions in a little bit, but is there any additions that you guys want to make to any of what we said so far? Yeah, I'd like to say that <clears throat> the human ego in the military-industrial complex in these audiences and the decision-maker parts of the, especially corporate people, um, who influence the decision makers worldwide are, is huge. And so they seduce them with financial, uh, offers of financial assistance, extended business and trade, a seat in NATO or whatever the group is at the moment, technology transfer. And so countries around the world that I think really would rather live in peace on earth and in space are either um, seduced, blackmailed, threatened, um, lied to, and so somehow, I don't know how, we need to reach those decision makers, because decisions are being made right now that are going to affect the rest of us and all of humanity and all sacred life forever, and it's taking place right now, fast. So I just wanted to add that in, that we need to really focus on spreading the alternative information, the secret information, and a way out. What are the steps to get out? And uh, question everything, and question it twice, and three times, and 
review everything. Mark, T-minus 60 seconds and counting. We are go for Apollo 7 at this time. 